Well, I don't know about you, but it seems to me that nowadays there's hardly a week going by that I am not dismayed at what I see happening in the world today. Uh, there just seems to be an increasing hatred towards God and to all things about Him and for those who follow Him. Uh, there's this active suppression uh, and rejection, really, of all what is good and right, all that God had made. And sometimes it makes me think we live in the days of Noah where the wickedness of man was great and, and every intent of the thoughts of, of the heart was only ever evil continually. Or maybe like the days of Isaiah where they would call good evil and evil good. Or even the days of Paul when he wrote about God giving over society to their impure lusts, their degrading passions, their depraved minds, uh, a society that has suppressed the truth in unrighteousness and therefore do not know God, do not honor God and, and do not give thanks to God. Instead, they deny God, they despise God and they reject Him. These are the sons of, of the evil one and are ever increasing and thriving in their evil. They are the children of disobedience, flaunting their sin and celebrating their wickedness. And they are children of the devil, embodied, emboldened rather, in their unrighteousness, their lies, their murders. It really caused me to be sick to my stomach that people would protest for the right to kill an unborn child. I am flabbergasted by people who deny the biological reality of their sex. But not only that, that then they would turn and persecute those who do not agree with them and do not go along with their delusion. All the while the sons of the kingdom Christian believers in the world are being increasingly silenced, cancelled, marginalized, opposed, oppressed, even persecuted for being Christian, for being a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom of God, when they seek to promote the goodness of the Lord, His will to be done, His kingdom to come. And so hardly a week goes by that... <laughs> I'm not amazed at the patience of God, at the grace of God, that He has not yet destroyed us for our arrogance, our wickedness, our defiance, our rebelliousness. And as these things trouble my soul, the Lord, our gracious Lord, reminds me that He is patient and that He is kind, and that Jesus came not to judge the world, but to save the world. That now is the acceptable time of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. The Lord is patient, not wishing anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's because we live in a time between Christ's first coming and His second coming. The time of salvation, the time of, of grace. But the gracious Lord reminds us also that this time is not indefinite, that He will return. And when He comes again, He does not come as Savior, but as King, as Judge, as Executioner of Justice, handing out retribution and punishment for those who have denied and rejected Him. But until then, in this world, we will have those who are evil, the sons of the devil, and we have those who are good and righteous, the sons of the kingdom. And so this is the time of salvation. This is the period of grace and mercy. But there is a harvest coming. There is judgment coming when the wicked will be separated and gathered together 
and burned in the furnace of fire prepared for them. And the righteous will be brought together into the presence of God and gathered to shine brightly as the sun in his presence. And this is really this is the essential message of the parable that's before us this morning. Tears among wheat. And Jesus reminds us, don't be alarmed. Don't seek to purge the world of evildoers. But be patient. Be faithful. Be fruitful. Christ the King is coming. And with Him, judgment. And so we've been looking at these parables in Matthew 13, a chapter full of parables, where Jesus hid or hid the truth in plain sight. Jesus used parables to reveal truth about the kingdom of God to those who have ears to hear. And he also used it to hide the very same truth from those who have closed their ears, have closed their eyes, and will not perceive, will not perceive the things of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, which we said was a mystery was something just, it's not a conundrum or a riddle, but a spiritual truth not yet revealed by God. Uh, a spiritual truth that only can be received and perceived supernaturally through the ministry of the spirit of truth. And so we've studied the parable of the sower before, and we saw that some of the seed, the seed that the sower used was really the word of God, and that word fell on the pathway that represented the hardened heart. The seed did not penetrate that heart, but it was quickly lost because the devil snatched it away. Uh, the seed on the rocky soil is really the selfish heart who would respond quickly and eagerly to the blessings and the promises of the gospel, but as soon as the cost of the gospel becomes due, they would wither and wilt away, not willing to pay the cost or to count the cost of being a disciple of Christ. Then there were those, the seed that fell in the thorny soil, the dirty soil, really the, the weed-infested soil. They represented the divided and the deceived of heart whose concern and care for the things of this world and the desire for riches of this world choke the word of God out of their lives, rob it of its life-giving power and its transforming vitality, leaving them fruitless. And then there were the productive, the productive soil. That is, those are the ones who had received the seed of the word by grace through faith, and it produced abundant fruit to the glory of God. Now today we come to the parable of tares among wheat, and, and uh, it is also taken from the world of agriculture, and we find similar themes in this parable, themes of a sower and, and sowing a field and fruit and but this parable adds an element, and that is that of the coming harvest. And so let's read this parable. So if you're not in Matthew 13, please turn there to verse 24. And as we read this parable, I want you to start thinking and asking yourself that question. Who am I? What kind of seed am I? Am I wheat or am I tare? Am I a son of the kingdom and some of son of the evil one? What will it be like for me in the day of the harvest, the day of judgment? Uh, how will I bear fruit in this time? These are all questions that I think we need to consider as we read this this parable. So verse 24 of Matthew 13 says, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then tares became evident also. <clears throat> The slaves of the landover came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, No, 
For while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Just follow, go down to verse 36 where Jesus gives us the explanation of this parable. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares in the field. And he said, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, and the field is the world. And as for the good seed, there are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers our angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you, Lord, in need of your grace and your mercy. We pray for your spirit, Lord, to minister to us through your word today. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we may see, that we may understand, that we may believe, Lord, and that we will walk in the truth that you teach us today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so first of all, let's just look at the, the parable, really the illustration of what the kingdom is like. And, and we see here that there was a man who sowed his field with good seed. Um, and while his servants were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed bad seed in the, in, his, in the field and left. And the point here is not to ridicule the servants for being lazy and, and sleepy and not alert. Uh, this is not the point to reprimand the slaves but it is to draw attention to the enemy who is sly and crafty and under the cover of darkness where no one expects it, goes out and sowed stealthily bad seed among the good seed in the field of the landover. And it's hard to, to determine. I, I, a question that intrigued me was, was this common practice in those days? And it's, we, it's, we don't know. We, we, it's hard to determine how common that would be. But what we do know is that, that man's heart is exceedingly wicked. And no doubt there were some who, because of economic rivalry, may have done this in those days. I mean, Paul reminds us in Romans 1.30 that fallen men are inventors of evil. And so fallen man will find new ways to sin against God. Uh, now the enemy sowed tares. The tares, uh, it's suspected to be lolium temulentum for those who are into gardening. Or farming, a bearded a bearded darnel. It's sort of a weedy rye grass that produces poisonous seeds, and in the early stages of its life, it really looks very similar to wheat. And so, as the chairs grow, uh, so the wheat would grow, and their their roots would get entangled, and their foliage would look very much the same. But it is only as grain started to sprout that one is able to distinguish between the tares and the wheat. The tares tend to stand, the stalk tend to stand up with the seeds upright, and the wheat tend to bow down with, with, because of the weight of the grain. Uh, but here, uh, the, landowner, the slaves of the landowners saw this. They, they started seeing there were tares in the field. And so they inquired of the Lord, Lord, did you not use good seed and of course it was a rhetorical rhetorical question because they always uses good seed uh, and so then where did this tear or the tears come from and the landowner immediately knew it was the work of an enemy it was the deliberate malicious act to hurt and to harm and limit the harvest of the landowner and so the slaves want to put this right. They want to go out and uproot all these tares from the field. But the owners stopped them. Uh, 
instructing them to wait until harvest time. For uprooting the tares now risks also uprooting some of the wheat. And so allow them to both to grow until harvest time. Give the saplings the full benefit of time to mature, to produce grain, to show what they are by the fruit that they bear. And then we will clearly see who are tares and who are wheat. And then at harvest time, we will separate them. The tares to one side and the wheat to another. The tares to be burnt up and the wheat to be stored in the barns of the master. So, straightforward parable, uh, really describing the current state of the kingdom of our Lord. Uh, and now that we know what he said, what did Jesus mean by it? And I'm so glad the disciples ask this question. Down in 36, after the crowds dispersed, the disciples came to him and says, Lord, tell us about the tares in the field. What, 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 what about the tares in the field? Um, now, as, you, as we've learned that Jesus used the parables to reveal both truth and, and high truth at the same time, uh, and the truth was hidden to those who had heard but did not hear, who saw but did not see, they did not understand, they were not really interested in what he said, they were mainly interested in what he could do for them. The disciples, on the other hand, were also seeming not understanding what this parable meant. And so they asked, but they had ears who are eager to listen, eyes who are, who are eager to see, and minds eager to learn, and so they asked. And they had a particular interest in the tares. How come there be tares among the wheat? Who are they? And, and, and why leave them? And why not uproot them now? And Jesus explained to them that at this time, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is focused on salvation. Judgment is coming when all the unrighteous will be removed from the kingdom. But for now, he is patient, not wanting any to perish but all to come to repentance. And so Jesus identifies for us the actors in this parable. The Son of Man, he said, was, was Jesus, the King. Uh, Son of Man was the messianic title that Jesus used, often used of himself, that we've taken from Daniel 7, as we've heard before. And he was sowing good seed. Now, in, this, in, the, in the parable of the sower, the good seed was the word of God. Here, the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. They who believed God. They who believe in Jesus as Savior and Jesus as the Christ, the King, Emmanuel, God incarnate. And they have submitted to him as King. They submitted to his lordship. And so God gave them the right to become children of God. Born not of blood, not because of your family, not by the will of the flesh, not because you think or your cleverness has, has made you um, come up with this idea, nor the will of man, you, not because someone else made you come to believe in Christ, but because of God. Born from above, born by the Spirit of God, who calls us His sons of the kingdom through the gospel and the regeneration of the Spirit. And so the sons of the kingdom have Jesus as their King, Jesus as their Lord. He is the one who rules and reigns over their heart. Now the sons of God and the sons of the kingdom are sown by grace, through faith, at the hearing of the gospel. And it's interesting that he, that he uses the term sons of the kingdom, not children of the kingdom. I think most likely because sonship has implied inheritance. That they are the ones who will inherit the kingdom 
of heaven. As we read in Matthew 5, uh, those, the, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit, belongs to the meek, uh, and those who are persecuted for righteousness, they will inherit the kingdom. And Jesus said the tares, well, the tares are the sons of the evil one. The evil sons in the world. They have the evil one who is the devil, the adversary of God, the slanderer of Christ, the accuser of the brethren, the enemy of God as their father. Satan is their spiritual father who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning and thus therefore his sons will be marked by lying and murdering. They are those who are dead in their trespasses and sins, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, who are living in the lust of their flesh, indulging in the desires of their flesh and their mind, and who are by nature children of wrath. They are the children of the devil, 1 John 3, 16, who are characterized by unrighteousness, selfishness, lovelessness. And so the evil, the sons of the evil one are those who have rejected Christ as Savior and rebelled against Him as King. But then Jesus says, the field, the field, Jesus says, is the world. Now, despite this clear statement from Jesus, many in history, church history past, and even today, still interpret the field as being the church. Therefore, according to that interpretation, they would understand that Jesus has sown his sons in the church, and then the devil comes and he sows unbelievers among his sons within the church. Now, that is not completely wrong, but it is not what the parables say. It's more an application of the parable. Um, it is true that in the kingdom there would be tares among, among the wheat, and, and the church is in the kingdom. And so we can expect that because Satan has, uh, is masquerading as an angel of light, that we should not be surprised that, he, that his children would also masquerade as sons of righteousness in the church. 2 Corinthians 11. But this parable is not about the church. This parable is about his kingdom. The field is not the church. The field is the world. Now the church is in the kingdom, and the church is of the kingdom, it's part of the kingdom, but it is not the kingdom. It's not the fullness of the kingdom of God. The church serves sort of as kingdom embassies, if you like, in the world, cities of refuge on earth, uh, really congregations of ambassadors, congregations of uh, those who have the king uh, as ruler over their hearts. The church are really life-saving stations where God is making disciples, lifesavers, armed with the love of God and the gospel of grace. They are sent to save Sinners, the church is here on earth to fulfill the commission that Christ has given. The church is not meant to rule on the earth. It is to serve the world with the gospel. It is not meant to reign over the nations. The church is not meant to be a ruler and exercise dominion over the world, but it is to seek and save the lost. It is to lead sinners to Jesus as Savior and Christ as King. It is to represent the King's interests. It is to proclaim the King's message. It is to advance the King's kingdom 
but through the proclamation of the gospel, through the offering of salvation, not the exercise of judgment or justice. That's not the task of the church. And so remember, the central idea of the kingdom is really rule, is reign, it's dominion. We have a king in the kingdom, we have subjects who are subjected to the king, and we have an area, a land or a country or a, or a realm or a sphere over which the king rules, over which the king exercises his dominion. Now, the kingdom of God includes all of creation, but on earth, he chose to rule and to reign through what is called his mediatorial kingdom, where he chose to rule and reign through man. And that was lost at the fall. But God will restore His dominion, His rule, His reign over the earth through man again. And this has been progressively revealed, this sort of kingdom program, this his mediatorial kingdom program has been revealed for us throughout history, from Abraham to David, from David to Christ. And we see that in the genealogy that, that Matthew gave us in chapter 1. From Abram came the nation Israel, and from the nation Israel came the king David, and to King David was promised that one of his descendants will reign on his throne in Jerusalem forever. And so the kingdom that was prophesied to Israel was a physical kingdom with a physical king ruling over physical people on a physical earth. The promise of God is that Messiah, the King, Christ Jesus, will rule on earth on the throne of David in Jerusalem, not in heaven next to the Father where he is now seated until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He is to come and he will reign over all the nations of the earth. And his kingdom will expand over the whole earth. All that was lost at the fall, God will redeem and restore through Christ. What was lost by the first Adam will be restored by the second hour. And the New Testament maintains this distinction between the church and the kingdom. Just go and read the New Testament and look how often it speaks of the kingdom of God. And so there's this, it maintains a distinction between the church and the kingdom. The church is in the kingdom, but it, is, it deals with salvation where the kingdom concept is about rule and dominion and, and exercise judgment and, and justice. Jesus himself maintained that distinction when after his resurrection, he appeared to his disciples for over a period of 40 days, teaching them many things about the kingdom of God. And then his disciples wanted to know, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus effectively said, no, not no, never, not no, you got it wrong because it's all about the church now. It's no, it's not for you to know when that will happen. When the kingdom will come in its prophesied glory is not for you to know now. And so the purpose of the church is to seek and save the lost, not to rule and reign the earth. At this time, we're talking about his kingdom between his first coming and his second coming. And the purpose of kingdom, that, that concept, is really to establish God's rule and reign over everything on earth. And that rule and reign will be consummated at his second coming.
coming when he will return and he will execute judgment on those who refuse to receive his gospel of grace, his hand of reconciliation, his offer of peace. He will judge. Now, in the past, those who have interpreted, want us to be careful when we, when we come to the Bible and, and make sure we interpret the Bible accurately. For those who have interpreted the Bible, or rather this parable, as the church, have also resisted the practice of church discipline. Why? Because the parable teaches that God's servant must not uproot the tares now. We are not to excommunicate those who are sinful, who are rebellious, who are unrepentant sinners from the church. While Scripture is very clear that the purity of the church is very important to God. And so having a wrong view on this parable puts you immediately at odds with other parts of Scripture. So which part are you going to obey? Because if you choose not to exercise discipline, you disobey Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 5. If you choose not to believe the parable, then if your understanding is that the field is the church, then okay, we should not exercise church discipline. But going back to our parable, verse 38, Jesus is very clear that the field is the world. And therefore, this parable is not so much about unbelievers in the church, but really believers in in the world. The Son of Man sows His good seeds, His sons of the kingdom, into the world. And the sons of the kingdom, as I said, become sons of the kingdom by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and have submitted themselves to His Lordship. They obey Him. And He sows them in His field so that they would seek and save the lost. So that they would pray, His kingdom come, His will be done. And point all those who would hear and listen to Him. The time of grace. They are His representatives. They are His ambassadors. They are His salt and light in this world. And then Jesus continued to explain that at the end of the age, there will be a harvest, a future judgment. And in the present time, he does not want his servants to go and uproot tares from the field for fear that he may, or they may uproot wheat as well. Why? For now is the time of salvation. The Lord is gracious and patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but to come to repentance. You see, it's not the point of the parable, so Jesus did not explain that. But really, all of us, all who are wheat, were at one stage tear. We are sown into this world, we are born into this world, a tear. We are born in sin, says Psalm 51. There are none righteous, not even one. There are no one who seeks after God, no one who understands. All have turned aside. We are all producing useless, poisonous fruit before Christ. We are enemies of God, Romans 5.10 tells us. We are alienated and hostile towards God, Colossians 1.21. But it is by God's grace that we receive the seed of the kingdom, the word of God, the gospel through faith, and we are transformed from a tear into a wheat. From weed to wheat, if you like. And that is why the Lord is patient and gracious. 
He wants to allow the full allotted time for every wheat to be, every tet that will become wheat to become wheat, and then for every wheat to sprout the grain of repentance, the grain of faith, the grain of righteousness. He desires all of his wheat to produce the fruitful grain to be recognized as his before the judgment, so that none would perish. And so if the servant of God jumps in early before the harvest time and starts weeding out the tares in the field, there is a danger that some may be confused. That some wheat may be confused as tear. Because some wheat takes a little bit longer to produce fruit than others. God is so patient and so gracious. You see, the servants of God today, we don't have the capacity to see the heart. Only God does. We don't have the, ca the capacity to discern with accuracy the condition of every person's heart. And so we need to wait and see if perhaps this tear actually is a wheat. You know, in the church history, there has been many horrible deeds done in the name of Christ because the church sought to execute justice instead of serving the world with the gospel to save the lost. Constantine, the emperor who really forced many to become Christian, making Christianity the, the official religion of the Roman Empire at that time, and many who did not go along were slaughtered. And no doubt there were those who perished. The Crusades, another example of the church seeking to execute justice, wanting to liberate Jerusalem and, 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 the, and, the, and, and the land of Israel from Muslim invasion, when pride and greed and hunger were the real motivations. The Reformation, many Anabaptists were drowned because they baptized themselves again, having come to a full understanding of the gospel. The Counter-Reformation, the same thing. When in the Inquisition, many, many were tortured and killed because they, have, they believe them to be tares, having turned their back on Roman doctrine or Roman Catholic, uh, Catholicism. And so Jesus says, don't remove them before the harvest time, for the harvest is coming at the end of the age. At a time no one knows but the Father. And then the Lord will send these angels, his harvesters, into the field of the world, and they will first gather the tares. They are the stumbling blocks. Those who hinder and hamper and, and harm and hurt the sons of God, the sons of rather the kingdom of God, to perform the task that the king has set them. They are the lawless ones who would live licentious lives, rebellious lives, opposed to the will and ways of the king. And they will be gathered together, bundled together, and be cast into the furnace of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of unimaginable torment. Weeping would indicate emotional torment. Gnashing of teeth would indicate physical torment. The Bible called this place hell, a place of darkness, 
place of incessant burning with no relief ever. It is a hell of a place where there is no light, nothing good, nothing kind, no mercy, no grace, no love. There is no pleasure. There is no joy. There is no satisfaction. There is no hope. There is only the ever-present bone-gnawing suffering and misery of hopelessness and pain. Why? Because the sons of the evil one love their sin more than they love Christ. The sons of the evil one oppose Christ as king and reject him as savior. On the other hand, the sons of the kingdom will be called the righteous of God. They will shine like the sun in his presence. Theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Theirs will be the comfort of their Lord. There will be the inheritance of the earth. There will be the rest of God. There will be their master's joy. Theirs will be God the King for all eternity. So what are the implications to us? How are we to, what are we to make with this parable? Well, first of all, it's to know. To know that the Lord's kingdom is ongoing. It's growing as His people are proclaiming the gospel and individuals are receiving Christ by grace through faith as Lord of their lives. But it also tells us that the kingdom is being opposed by the enemy of God. And he exalts himself as God. As Second Thessalonians tells us, the man of lawlessness who exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship. And he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Satan wants to exalt himself as God. So he deceives people to believe that. He blinds the mind of the unbelieving, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Where it says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This enemy of God has many schemes of which we should take note and be alerted against and stand strong in the Lord against that by putting on the full armor of God, as Ephesians 6, 10 tells us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And so we must be strong in the Lord and be faithful. We need to be about the business of the king. He has called us to go into the nations and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And teach them all that He has commanded us. Not only teach them, teach them to observe all that He has taught us. We need to be faithful in preaching the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction because a time is coming when they will not endure sound doctrine and will, wanting their ears to be tickled will accumulate for themselves according, teachers according to their own desires. 2 Timothy 4.2 We as children or sons of the kingdom must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patiently or patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps will God will grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive to do his will. 
2 Timothy 4, 24 to 26. The sons of the kingdom must be strong in the Lord and patient. Romans 12 tells us, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing you are heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Be strong and be hopeful. There is a harvest coming. There is judgment coming. And it is a perfect judgment. No one will get away with their sin. For the wheat, Christ has paid the penalty of their sins. For the tear, no wrongdoing, no hidden sin, no secret slander, no false accusation, no unrighteous deed, no deception, no lie, no murder will escape the judgment of God. And so we need to be strong, but we also need to be alert. We need to be alert by examining ourselves. Asking us those questions in the beginning. Who am I? Am I a stumbling block? Am I a lawless one? Am I hindering the work of the kingdom? Am I ignoring his commands for my life? Test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Or do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? 2 Corinthians 13.5 Be alert and be diligent. Add, apply all diligence, add to your faith moral excellence, and to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, Self-control, to self-control, perseverance, into perseverance, godliness, into godliness, brotherly kindness, into brotherly kindness, love. For these if, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities are blind and short-sighted and have forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance to the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Be alert and be prepared to suffer for the kingdom. Expect hardship. Expect opposition. Expect oppression. We are sown among tares, among the evil ones. They will oppose you, they will oppress you, they will persecute you. Our task is not to retaliate, not to execute judgment, but to be salt and light for the Lord. Jesus said, In me, you have peace. In the world, you have tribulations. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Be alert and be steadfast. Don't be surprised if there are others within our congregation who may fall away. Who leave us and leave the faith. John says... They went out for us because they were not of us. For if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But their going show us that they never belong to us. Be alert and be on guard. Be sober of spirit. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in the faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. 
after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 1 Peter 5, 8-10. And so this parable of the tares among wheat teaches us that God's kingdom is ongoing. The fact that Israel rejected his offer of a kingdom, him as king, did not stop God's kingdom program. But it does look different. Now it is still being opposed. As Israel opposed Christ, the world opposes Christ. They resist his lordship. They refuse his offer of peace. And the devil is actively resisting the kingdom to come. But our king is gracious. Our king is patient. And he asks us to be patient, to be faithful, to be fruitful, and to wait. Because his judgment is coming when he will bring his recompense for all of mankind, whether they have done good or evil. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And, and just a reminder, Lord, that as a Christian, we should expect opposition and hardship. You have sown us into this world, and the enemy has come and sowed his sons, the sons of evil, besides us, among us, around us. And Lord, and they are actively opposing you, actively engage in lawlessness. Lord, they seek to cause your sons of the kingdom to stumble, to hinder them, to make it harder for them to go about your business of proclaiming the gospel, of seeking and saving the lost. Lord, they undermine, they deceive, they lie, they hurt, they harm, they hinder. But Lord, we can rest in the knowledge that you see it all. Nothing is hidden from your sight. And that you will sustain us as we look to you, as we abide in you, that's when we will bear much fruit. And you will come again to execute justice and judgment on those who refuse to believe. And you will restore your rightful rule and reign over all the earth. And we rejoice in that. In Jesus' name. Amen.